Hello and welcome back to Podcasting as Praxis. I'm James and my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. I'm Rob, mine are he and him. And I'm Alistair, my pronouns are he and him. And uh, bad news everyone, we've got a special guest on tonight, but it's not the same special guest as last week. Oh no, it's... It's me. I'm back, baby. Pronouns are they, them. I'm Sanan. How's everyone doing? What's up? Good. What are we doing? What are we doing tonight? You know? I'm, I'm hot. That's how I'm doing. <laughs> I feel like I feel like one of those, like you know, like a, a peasant in medieval period, where like a fucking plague doctor has turned up, and you're like, oh, I wonder what that's all about. <laughs> yeah, I wonder what he's doing. Here. <laughs> here for the bed bugs. What's with the mask? Yeah, much much like being uh, being sprinkled while you're uh, with glitter while you're on stage. Uh, we, I have a surprise for everybody on the on the podcast. Uh, yeah, consistency. That means we have read another terrible, terrible, terrible book. And this time, is uh, there any other kind? Uh, I'm sure there are, but not for this fucking podcast. There aren't. It's uh, it's a delightful follow up. Actually, it's a sequel. And oh, at no. the end of the previous uh, time that Cinnamon was here to do- talk about this author, um, we said that we w- we swore that we would not do the sequel. But you know, oh well. Uh, here oh, we are. Oh no. Boy, is that the sound of the bottom of a barrel I can hear? <laughs> I- I'm hearing the sound of an uh, an oncoming train. <laughs> It is, and this is uh, from the back cover, the heart-stopping new thriller from the UK's top political journalist. That's right, oh, I have read for you Robert Peston's The Crash. Oh, no. Subtitle, <laughs> odd. <laughs> Curious. wonder why that happened. Um. <laughs> the Crash. <laughs> now, that's the subtitle. It's The Crash, an odd, colon, an odd novel. Um <sighs> You know, right, so listener, Rob Rob initially put the, t- the start time of the podcast back an hour, and I went, right, okay, and planned my day around that, and then Rob brought it forward an hour, and I busted my backside getting everything done in time to make the pod, and I did it for this. For this. Yes. Yes, oh. your your sacrifices are appreciated. Uh, it is the only way towards citizenship. Um, yeah, so uh, Robert, <laughs> Robert Peston's The Crash uh, brings back uh, intrepid journalist uh, Gil Peck for yet another excruciating tale of extremely mediocre plotting, as well as pages and pages and pages and pages of very repetitive exposition about the 2008 financial crisis and how hedge funds work, as well as how the London elite is getting away with all of that. Huh. Yeah, imagine imagine if Rob tr- uh, did one of the uh, informative financial explainers uh, episodes of this podcast, but also there was inexplicably a plot attached to it yeah i and i wrote myself in the third person and i talked about how i fuck a lot which we'll get to oh featuring bart right. fuckstorm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah basically like this is a very terribly plotted thriller um and interspersed with many many pages is you remember the bits in like the big short where they explained like some of the mechanics like margot robbie on the hot tub uh, yeah i remember that stuff yeah i absolutely remember the margot robbie bit yeah like i also remember the was it anthony bodin doing yeah, the kitchen yeah stuff? that was really yeah. good as well that, that was, was actually excellent. really good um yeah all oh, yeah. right what am i thinking of then i don't think i've seen that maybe uh, you thinking wolf of wall street yeah you, margin you call might... margin call yeah yeah there are a lot of yeah. films um, about that kind of thing it turns out yeah 
But whereas where Magical is really good, this is uh, really not. But just to, to, to catch you up on uh, on our previous episode regarding Gil Peck, a brief summary of the previous novel. Yeah, he is... Last time I, I did like the thing where I like mentioned all the fake names because it's all based on real people. I'm just not doing that this time around. So Bony we'll just... Claire. Clearly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, what's, what the fuck is... is um... Johnny Todd is uh, um, Tony Blair. Johnny Todd. But f- yeah, but for the purpose of this novel, we will not be be doing that. Um, so Gil Peck, uh, Robert Peston, working for the Financial Times, uncovers a plot by Rob- Rupert Murdoch, uh, who has murdered his sister. So Rupert Murdoch could keep secret the fact that his pension fund had a big hole in it. Uh, after very many big boring adventures with um, his assistant slash girl Friday Jess as well as occasional fuck buddy Marilyn Kroll uh, who is an advisor to Tony Blair he is uh, still defeated despite the scoops because even though he does reveal fucking Cormor already (laughs) 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 this is fucking dreadful I'm I'm hearing I'm hearing the fucking oblivion music with a harp just in the background over everything Rob's saying. I'm like completely checked out. I'm disassociating. I feel like a short elf is going to walk up to me and ask how I'm doing, Imperial Citizen. Like, well, you two, you need to hold your comas for the moment because this is just a summary of the last book. Yeah, yeah, we haven't even got the actual. And I'm doing this because like you have to set up this book. Um, So despite. Gil Pex's. uh, uh, Can we not just record like ninety minutes of us wiping our asses on it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i mean we could but we might get a whole new audience out of that one different different website right you know yeah uh yeah despite gil peck's yeah, my shit novel.com <laughs> uh rupert murdoch ends up uploading his, his... <laughs> <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> So despite his best effort, Rupert Murdoch ends up putting his weight behind Tony Blair to fix the pension ga- gap. And it also turns out that uh, Tony Blair was probably the one who got his sister murdered uh, because she, were gonna, she was going to have his um, baby out of wedlock. Uh, at the end of book one, uh, Gil Peck swears bloody revenge on everything uh, and so on and so forth. Um, so that is, is where there, we is there start. Like, is there like a visual aid for this fucking plot? Because <laughs> like no. this is just in, this is this is a summary, of, and it's already interminable. Rob, I am heavily dosed on ADHD. I am heavily dosed on ADHD medication. I couldn't follow a fucking word of that. Believe me when I say that that's the extremely simplified version of the the, the previous novel. Uh, but it's it's merely to remind you of the existence of basically Tony Blair and um, political assistant Marilyn Crawl, both of whom who feature again in this novel. I feel like most people are aware of Tony Blair's existence. As does like Rupert Murdoch being like a, a, a much smaller role, so he gets um, less. Anyway, let's dive straight into it. Very briefly, a rundown of the main cast of characters, if you can be bothered to remember any of them. Um, we have, of course, Gil Peck, uh, the thinly veiled stand-in for Robert Peston. Basically, he's still a fiend for scoops. Uh, he drinks very expensive wine. He loves having free lunches uh, or expense accounts lunches and talks Gil too much Peck about can't different... stay out of the fucking Baskin Robbins. Hmm. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he also wears atrocious fashion still, if you remember the famous Robert Peston photo shoot for the Times a couple of years ago. And he is no longer with the Financial Times, but he now writes uh, a blog, a blog, because it's 2008, everybody, uh, for uh, the BBC. The firebrand blogger from 2008. Yeah, we all remember that guy. Yeah. Um, and his blog is called Peconomics. 
So, you know, that's that's the amount of seriousness uh, going on in this book. Uh, there is also Jess something or other. Uh, she was his girl Friday at the Financial Times, uh, but she's now a girl boss with a daughter, uh, but still at the uh, FT. But just to make sure that this, you know, this is how thinly veiled it is. Um, in this version of the world, the pages of the Financial Times aren't the soft pink, but they are soft green. Just, you know... They're very Ooh. different, you know. It's it's a wink and a nod to, to Wait, the real so world. Wait, so does it does this does this mean um, this is this is the the eponymous boss baby? Is, is that how this works? No, she has a boss baby, but but um, uh, not included. Oh, so maybe, a maybe boss part three. baby, not the boss baby. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's also Marilyn Crawl, uh, featured heavily in the heavily in the previous book, uh, Gil Peck's former fuck buddy, Tony Blair's old personal assistant, and now for some reason is on the stability board of the Bank of England because you know that's how you make that transition. He's kind of accidentally understood Britain really well there, though. Yeah, he just doesn't really recognise yeah. it as a problem. Like he he's nailed it, but he, he probably hasn't understood it. Uh, yeah, there's also Johnny Todd, like I said, that's just Tony Blair. Um, mm. Then there's a, a new character who's not based, as far as I know, on anybody actually in the real world. So we'll use their actually like novel name, uh, a guy called Chris Ravel or Ravel, uh, a hedge fund overlord, uh, as well as a former university uh, Stalinist and Palestine supporter whose dad used to run MI6. Stalinist um, and Palestine supporter. Uh, mm. Yeah. Mm, two great flavors that go great together, right? Yeah. Uh, I have some. There are some choice quotes coming up about um, you know, what it's like to be a Stalinist at, at Oxford. I assume it's fucking fine, to be honest. Like, <laughs> do, you, do you reckon that if you declare yourself a Stalinist at Oxford, that, that your MI, MI5 and MI6 applications just arrive in the mail on like day two or something? <laughs> yeah, like I imagine it's actually not to anyone's disadvantage to be to say that when they're at Oxford. Do you reckon Paul Mason's posting career is just a desperate application to be an MI6 agent? Oh, he's already an asset. I wouldn't even worry about that. Like, <laughs> Although, actually, maybe not. He might be a little too stupid even for British intelligence, now I think about it. Uh, yeah, anyway, so the last main character you kind of need to keep an eye on is a guy called Alex Elliott. Uh, he is Tony Blair's former spin doctor and is now the most powerful man in PR in London. <sighs> The most powerful man in PR. <laughs> yeah, he's like a lobbyist. He's like a sort of a halfway cross between Alistair Campbell and Max Clifford. Like, sort of like that. Um, he's also a big-time pervert and also uh, a coked-up weirdo. And pretty much uh, what I don't set the setting for a scene, assume that it's either in an expensive restaurant, an exclusive club, or a huge countryside mansion. And also assume that that expensive alcohol is being drunk and sometimes cocaine is being taken, because that's Ooh. just how that works. I mean, it's Britain. I assume alcohol and cocaine are being consumed in some fashion. This, this, is, not, this is not surprising. I mean, this is like senior politicians and like economists, economists rather. So, like, yeah, cocaine, cocaine is is their bread and butter. So, uh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, yeah, just all right. So we kick off. It's actually uh, the, the the prologue takes place towards the end of the book. It it starts, you know, in the middle of a high tension scene. Oh boy, I love starting in medias res. I love that literary <laughs> device. God, boy, I... do you ever. Let me read you the first first couple of sentences. As a scoop-getting reporter, I am adept at assessing risk. I don't As say an that. Ice cream-loving show... reporter. <laughs> <laughs> I am adept at assessing risk. I don't say that to show off, just to insist that I'm not being melodramatic. 
There is no point lying to myself. I can exclusively reveal that the odds of me passing out and dying here on the top floor of this monstrous architectural tribute to financial globalization are greater than even. And I can tell you that because I got the hot fudge that I wanted. <laughs> all, that, all, that, all this motherfucker ever does is lie to himself. He's got some nerve. Uh, yeah, a bit later on, it turns out uh, that he's being menaced by a big ex-Special Forces uh, guy called Bill. Um, I remember my lost finger, my darling little finger. We've been through so much together. Did they put it in the jacket of my La- in the pocket of my Lacroix jacket? I think so. So they've snipped his finger off. Damn. Damn, it do be it, like that sometimes. It, it's, it's just. Did he have to stop? Could they not have kept going? The, the thing, the thing is, the thing that you've just told us is that the main character of this story has got his little finger cut off, right? And yeah. that's normally that's normally quite a an intense, you know, engaging moment. But the way that this has been written is is made it mm-hmm. a grind. It's fucking incredible. Robert Peston just just must be just a big fan of John Wick or something. And thought, huh? I wonder if I can write that in. <laughs> Yeah, it's just a shame that it's not based on the doubloon economy, because I would have read way more of it and been much more into it. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a big wheel down at the uh, the pirate bank. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, basically we sort of flash back to where it all started, and then at the towards the end of the this this podcast and the book will get to why his uh, finger is being cut off um so we start with uh, gil peck is in the hospital because uh, his mom has cancer and he's with her but he's of course uh, running to the corridor and ignore his mom because uh, scoops are doing uh, and he's getting them on his blackberry again because this is 2008 uh, so we a have coupon to email arrived for baskin robbins <laughs> uh, the the scoop he gets is the uh, impending fall of uh, BlackRock uh, again because this is 2008 and the coming financial crash. This is extremely the newsroom. Yes, yeah. this is powerfully the yeah. newsroom. Mm. Yeah. Wow, these these events are unfolding around me, but boy, God, boy, howdy, am I not going to have any influence on them whatsoever? <laughs> well, you'd think so, but actually, as it turns out, Gil Peck is the most powerful reporter in the UK, and part of the bad guy's plot actually revolves around him, pu- like, putting out a blog that's positive about their nefarious scheme, because if Gil Peck, Gil Peck publishes it, it must be true. I'm sorry, is this how Peston sees him? Does he see himself as, like, if he endorses an evil scheme, it will then come to pass? Does he? Does yep. he perceive himself as having this power? Because, like, I don't think anyone has fucking heard of the dickhead outside of, like, us. For real. Like, like, (laughs) us and fucking saddos on Twitter. Well, I'm not even on Twitter anymore, so it's even sadder than that. But still, like, Jesus. Anyway, so we get to, this is, uh, uh, we get to, like, the first, I would say, 50, maybe 75 pages of the book are, like, mind-numbing amounts of repetitive explanation of how things like collateralized debt obligations work. (laughs) I, I won't. I won't give you all of it because, like I said, it's mind-numbing. I'm just going to give you. This is page eight in a tight political. Just enough thriller. to just... take the edge off, eh? <laughs> 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 and it begins 
miraculously with so to state what you already know because it's been explained on the previous page i think anyone without a job or has lost their job will struggle to pay interest and that's where the cdo comes in think of them as financial sausages into the grinder you put some proper beef but also some offal and maybe fat and gristle and bits that nobody wants to think about i'm so i'm and sorry i preferred the big short explanation where it was their dog shit wrapped mm. in cat shit that's a much more yes. simple and yes. funny explanation of this like jesus christ like you know the, the skill of a journalist is being able to take big ideas and break them down for easy consumption and this is the opposite of that yeah you see how i remembered you see how i remembered the line from a film i've not watched in years i'm gonna yes. fucking forget this sausage bullshit like as soon yeah. as we're done i'm not gonna lie it's just the anglicized it's just the anglicized version of imagine a hamburger <laughs> yeah imagine a full english like, the idea of the idea of a CDO is pretty much the same. The bankers mince together risky loans with less risky loans and then slice and dice them into bonds. The idea is to turn something poisonous into something edible. You could see it as modern day alchemy. It's been brilliant business for the banks. Blah, the, modern and, day and, alchemy. Fucking fuck off. Um, right, the phrase modern day alchemy needs to be banned from any kind of writing, especially by these kind of pricks. I just, I can't fucking stand it. Every, every one of these fucking novels, everyone read The Alchemist and then suddenly everyone was like, oh, it's modern day alchemy alchemy just immediately like shakespeare risen from the grave i just i'm so tired of it i'm so fucking didn't he use exactly that same phrase in the last novel i swear I'm, to god I'm, he did I'm, I'm mostly i'm mostly pleased he wrote the word mince into the book that that i'm pretty pleased by <laughs> if nothing else uh, <laughs> a bit, big fan of uh, turkish politics i guess yeah that's yeah. right <laughs> the best in weighing in on the critical uh 0.8 that mince got at the election uh, so he's he's having this conversation, uh, you know, this explanatory conversation uh, in the hallway of the hospital. Um, uh, so of course he's being kicked out by <laughs> the nurse. Just completely like, like, just completely not registering the disinterest of any of the other characters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just corner, like Robert Peston, just like arm over you in a corner of the fucking hospital wing, <laughs> just leering at you, telling you about CDOs and talking about sausages. <laughs> I, I like to imagine that. Then- the nurse is treating him like he's developmentally challenged and it's like, oh yeah, that's very good. Lift your arm, please. So she's like trying to find a vein and all the rest of it is just like listening to him waffle on. Great. Absolutely great. Right after he's been told to get the fuck out by uh, one of the cancer ward nurses, uh, he go he goes in to, to tell his mum that he has to leave using the following line. This is a direct quote. I've got to file a blog, mum. I'm going to sit in a cafe for an hour to write it. My blog is out there and this story is going to change the world. Yes, that's how I tell to- my mum I'm not visiting. Because I'm like, I've got a tweet. Sorry. It's going to change the world. What can I do? I've got a tweet. I can't tweet on the train. So, so his, his mum's in hospital for cancer treatment. His mum's in the hospital for cancer treatment. But don't worry. Yeah, uh, I mean, his, ex- his explanation of CDOs gave her cancer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, just basically, he publishes this this, this uh, blog on Peconomics, um, and that is basically because he does that. That basically kickstarts the Northern Rock like bank run, and therefore the oh, British come on. Very- no. <laughs> come on, get really, really come on. <laughs> the the blog post that crashed the global economy. Okay, dude. Yeah. All right. I just looked up Peston's education to see whether he has an economics education. And I feel pretty confident in saying he doesn't because he he, he no. did a degree in PPE 
which at I believe Oxford. just is, yeah. yeah, at Oxford. I'm going to guess there's barely any actual economics in there. I mean, speaking so. of Oxford, pretty much all the characters in the book, apart from like two or three, have all gone to Oxford with Gilpack, and he all knows them from when he used to deal drugs to them at Oxford. But but this makes a lot of sense. Like, this is actually yeah. an accurate portrayal of the media environment in the UK. Yeah. He just doesn't register it as a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so he, you know, he just says, I, you know, uh, um, that he feels disconnected from people. He also turns out that he has ADHD, which he used to medicate with cocaine, but he now medicates with exercise. What? Piss off! off. Absolutely go! Fuck off. Like, actually fuck off with that. Get absolutely fucked, you motherfucker! First of all, first of all, I looked into this after talking to Alistair one night. Um, medicating ADHD with cocaine does not fucking work very well at all. It's not a good idea. Even barely, right? It just doesn't. It's not the right, it's not the right kind of stimulant. Second of all, you cannot fucking manage ADHD with exercise. Like, this is the, this is an insipid line which has started to creep in in the British press recently. I'm not even kidding. There was an article out today about it. We're all like, like, oh, you know, I used to try these very heavy-duty drugs, but well, they made me feel a little weird, so now I just exercise and eat right. And I'm like, if you can manage your ADHD by exercising and eating right, I'm sorry, you don't have ADHD, you fucker. Just, uh, as someone who his life has been transformed by these little pills, to suddenly being a functional human being, I just... Oh, <laughs> that was calibrated for me, Rob. Fuck you. Yeah. Just how don't, dare you? Don't worry, listeners. They're still a podcaster, so you know, take functional human being with a grain of salt. Um, Oof. It's true. Can't argue with it. Like in the previous novel, his real passion is uh, is scoops and economics. The seemingly chaotic gyrations of mar- uh, in markets, the green flickering ticker light for price rises, the red warnings for down, are compelling patterns to me that make perfect sense. Humans are treacherous, colon, markets don't lie. Yeah, ult- in the end, ultimately, isn't a Bloomberg, term- Bloomberg terminal the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? <laughs> Don't you secretly just want to stick your dick into it? Anyway, off he goes to the BBC to do some economising and explaining to the stupid people of the uh, British, uh, to the stupid British people who he uh, halfway through the book becomes like a hero to. Like he'll walk down the street and like random people will like lean out of white vans and say, "Thank you, Mister Peston, for keeping us informed." <laughs> yeah, that happens multiple we, we times. Would love to- yeah, we all love to lean out of uh, out of our moving vehicles to shout at a fucking blogger. <laughs> was it was it Peston who actually got assaulted in the street um, recently? What 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 journalist was it who posted about getting like you know assaulted just randomly by a passerby? Because that's far he more. He also gets frankly. insulted. He also gets assaulted in this book, but that has more nefarious reasons. But we'll get there. Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so before he goes off to the BBC, this is remember how I said he was like a fashion guy. I won't quote mm-hmm. more of this because there's so painfully much of it in the book, but just just to get you give you a flavour. Back in the bedroom, sure. in front of my floor-length mirror, I tweak my hair. One hundred and fifty quid of Nicky Clark scissor work, floppy on top, shaped at the back. Creative tension between chaos and precision, and just a trace of product. I take pains <sighs> uh... with the knot of my. Oh, yeah, the no. thing that separates me from the animals is is an expensive haircut. This is this is fucking Kiyostama. Like this is this is this is you know what actually this is the fucking opening to cycle is what this fucking is. It's just done incredibly badly. I take pains with the knot of my electric blue psychedelic Duchamp tie at the neck of a laundered and pressed white Charvet shirt, a few millimeters of slack. If there's too much pressure at my throat, my neural pathways go haywire. 
He's too turned on by the pressure on the throat. That's what I've understood from that. Tits gets made too horny by it. Oh, we've all been there, you know. It's just, don't need to put it in your book. Yeah. Uh, All the the way to the BBC, we do get like a a smidgen of literary pretension, though. I am thrilled by the romance of incipient autumn, comma, death creeping in. That, so okay, okay. So I need to I need to address that because I like autumn as a month. It's so very much as not as a month, but like as a season. It'll be a month this year in the UK, I would guess. Um, yes. But I like that made me hate autumn. That mm. made me hate it. Like I I fucking hate it now. I just I, I've become I've become a summer person suddenly. Fuck fuck autumn. Pestilence and like- autumn. This is a guy who's had only ever had the phrase purple prose like explained to him and he thought, Oh that sounds yes. great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it, it's some news and scoops are doing, I won't bore you with it. Uh, and also a guy you don't need to remember, but just for the name. Uh Peston invites invents a guy at the Bank of England called Merlin Whipplington, which is just a good name. <laughs> The most Sorry, inbred what? motherfucker you've ever met. I can yeah. I can see Merlin Whiplington in my head. Like I can see him, <laughs> and the amount of like the 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 way his jaw does not align because of severe inbreeding is just like it's perfect. I love it. That's actually the first. That's actually the first good thing he's done in this book. Is that yeah. name? Anyway, like in the traditional Peston sense, all the news that he gets, all the scoops that he gets is just because people feed him information and he just puts it out uncritically, you know. Mm. And then afterwards he goes like, hmm, I wrote that blog, that crashed Northern Rock. Maybe the people who gave me that information had some ulterior motive. Oh, well, shan't inquire about that one too much. Yeah, and and maybe Northern Rock was fucking doomed anyway. Like maybe 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 your blog was less of a factor than the American housing market imploding. Yeah, Who's I mean, maybe you know he said so. He's like speculating like whether or not there's some uh, some evil doing, but it's bedtime. So I turned on Sky, <laughs> thought about having a wank. I turned to Sky, thought about having a wank. Briefly looked at the Babe Station. Wait, channel. I'm sorry. Does 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 that what is that what it says on the page? Yes, mm. I was, can, can confirm there is a screenshot of the page. And this is what it says. I've been trying to keep up with what Rob's saying, but like, it's like it's like gazing into the abyss, and like, it just all looks the same to me. Did, all of these did... like screenshots of this book. <laughs> yeah, but don't worry about it, Alistair, because uh, pe- uh, because Gil Peck thought better of it. Scrolled through the two hundred other channels until I found a thirty-year-old episode of The Sweeney and f- and drifted off. <laughs> and <it's laughs> Jesus, thirty-year-old <laughs> episode of The Sweeney. Yeah. yeah, when's this set? Two thousand eight. I would have thought two thousand eight. Northern Rock. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to make it sound like I'm not taking any of this in, but I haven't got a fucking clue what's going on. I, I had a feeling that as soon as Rob said the Sweeney, that it was going to perk yeah. you up, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like how Mint's got me, right? It's just. Mm. Yeah. It's, there's something take for your everyone. Find it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he gets a very ominous phone call from his previous fuck buddy and Tony Blair's old assistant, Marilyn Kroll, who again now is at the Bank of England, uh, warning him, there is a lot of stake, be careful. And then, oh God, no, There is Marilyn a lot Kroll. of stake. Yeah, yeah Google just stake. joined the chat. That's right. <laughs> get, get, Time to get try to... age the British housing market and see what happens. <laughs> um 
But then, you know, oh god, no, the plot is finally set in motion at page 50 of th about 300. Uh, Marilyn Kroll, director of financial stability, is found dead at her home um, from an apparent suicide. So, you know. Did she zip herself that, into a bag? Or what? Like, what happened? Like, Gil's in a monologue about the first thing you get after he hears this news is, I spoke to her this morning, period. We had sex a few days ago, period. And then watch the Sweeney. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway, uh, Gil goes to the house. He meets uh, um, the, the deputy med commissioner, who for some reason is investigating this, and spirals out of control, thinking of conspiracies and about how everyone he's ever loved dies cruelly. Just to get away from the prick. Jesus Christ. He does, he does like to fridge his women quite hard, like, in this. You know, a woman exists purely to advance plot by getting killed off and stuffed in the fridge. Fantastic. Love it. Sign I mean, of a great author yeah. if it just hitting those beats. So, so whilst in this sad funk, like, he is about equally sad that his sister died, but also that he didn't get to write this true scoop news story about it. So, you know, it's a 50-50 on how sad it is. Um, oh, yeah, and this is a scene where Gil has to identify the body, why it's him, don't ask, but that's how we go. Uh, I wouldn't normally mention this apart from the writing here. The door clanks shut. I walk to the side of the trolley. I need physical contact for the last time. I can okay. see the two of us... <laughs> I can see the two of us in her bed. She's naked, except for her stupidly expensive black French lace bra, comma, an unusual <laughs> indulgence. She's on my face, period, moaning, period. <laughs> you know. I'm sorry, I don't know why that made me laugh. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just, that is, I, this is this is somehow more deranged than that episode of Always Sunny where uh, Charlie and Dee go to that fucking morgue in, with the intent of eating a yeah, guy. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Do you know the th the thing about the thing about bad writing is the difference that separates good writing from bad writing is evenness of tone and the ability to shift tones in a organic and like believable way to the reader. This this is someone who's got no concept of tone whatsoever. Like, Damn, my, no my lover died. But, uh, time to get horny about it for some reason. <laughs> like, you can, here's the thing, you can, you can interweave death and horniness, but not like this. Not like this, Jesus Christ. This literally feels like it's a, like a preamble to him copying a feel or something. It's completely it does, and that's what's, <laughs> and, and, and that, that's what just doesn't work here at all. <laughs> Anyway, so like uh, uh, right after the bulk scene, um, uh, it turn the Daily Mail does a hit piece on poor old Guild Peck. Uh, they call him a communist destroying Britain just for speaking the a truth. A fucking about freak Rock. who looks like he's about to molest a dead woman. Like, uh, to be fair, <laughs> if, if they had run with that, he would have deserved it. Yeah, he would have had <laughs> that one coming. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, we only do that with like corpse fondlers about three months after they're dead normally, but. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, so like they, they they call him a communist destroying Britain. That's like a whole subplot. It takes about six pages and it just vanishes into thin air for no reason. That whole thing could have been cut for no I don't even know why I'm mentioning it. Uh, anyway, so he's back to working together with his girl Friday, um, Jess. Wait, so, and hold on. So he, so he gets pilloried in the mail for being a communist and that just passes mm -hmm. without comment pretty much. Yeah, it's just fine. Yeah. Yeah. That's just normal. Okay, yeah, it's that's all just, good. That's just what happens, I guess. Yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> like, well, all right then. Like a, like a force of nature. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no way so to I'm stop. A, I am a serious journalist. I'm going to. Inter I'm absolutely not going to interrogate <laughs> the way that the, the fucking media operates in this country in a book about a man who wrote writes a blog that collapses the global economy. Cool. <laughs> no way to stop this, says country where this routinely happens. <laughs> 
because he still thinks that Marilyn Krull didn't commit suicide, but, you know, was murdered for nefarious reasons, uh, he works together with, like I said, Girl Friday uh, Jess, and they speculate that, like, who would have... Um, who would who would benefit from Northern Rock crashing? So who made money on the crash? And she introduces a guy called Chris Ravel, who is one of the main characters. And let me, this is where they start discussing him. Um, uh, this is Gil Peck starting. We were at Oxford, Natch. Jess rolls her eyes. Of course you were. Silly me. He won the Gibbs Prize for maths. Brain like a supercomputer. Classic on the spectrum genius. Oh, at university... No. No, 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 this is where it gets good. At university, he was a tanky. What's a tanky? <sighs> a Stalinist, member of some Life of Brian-style communist sect. Well, You're pulling my reference. Right. You're pulling my leg. It's not so crazy. Stalinism is about... What do you think Stalinism is about? <laughs> well, I can read the page, so I'm not going to guess. Yeah. <laughs> but, um... uh, Stalinism is about believing in yourself, uh, being, being <laughs> kind to your friends... And just just having fun with it. It's it's about the government doing stuff. That's what my guess would have been had I not read the thing. Uh, no, actually, Stalinism is about focus, ruthlessness, discipline, and a refusal to be diverted by normal human instincts and emotions. All the qualities necessary for an u- uber-capitalist hedge fund manager. Yeah, the best kind of fucking hedge fund manager is a guy who fought at Stalingrad. Yeah. That's, that's yeah, jo- what we need to yeah, learn. Yeah, Joseph Stalin would have been, in fact, the best capitalist. That's what we've yeah. learned today. In a few years, Lenin Lover 69 is going to grow up to be the world's best hedge funder. Um, you, I mean, so congratulations I mean, you, to half you, our audience. It's uh, <laughs> it's This is actually not an uncommon thing. It's not as uncommon as you might think, but yeah. It's it, yeah, a bit ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, as 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 some kind of Marxist, you do have to actually have a look at reality, and it turns out that econo- ec- economics does sometimes have to come have to come face to face with reality. Yeah, that is that is the thing. I've definitely known some people who have uh, who have delved into the Marxism who have then made a fuck ton of money doing this kind of thing. I've definitely mm. I've definitely known one or two. I'm not I'm not I wasn't you know. Not endorsing them, but, you know, actually being able to observe material reality helps. Who knows? Yeah, so Chris Ravel was not just like a Stalinist, but he was a PLO supporter too. There were rumours he was some sort of honorary member of Fatah. He spent all of his subs... He right. spent all of his summers in Palestine and wore a kefir the whole time. <laughs> like, you couldn't even, you couldn't even pick, like, a cool party. You had to pick Fatah. You couldn't even pick like the PFLP, like yeah. like you, know, you couldn't even pick like the actual Marxist-Leninist party in the PLO. <laughs> like, come on, this is this is fucking shoddy work. Well, this I would mean, require, require knowledge that he just doesn't have. Sinister. Yeah, I guess. So. Like this is extreme. This is extreme. I looked it up on Wikipedia and wrote about it. Energy. Uh, yeah, anyway, so, like, off we go to uh, Marilyn Krull's funeral. Um, he uh, is riding his Brompton, because he always rides his Brompton everywhere. It's name-checked a lot. Um, through the idyllic countryside, which he himself describes as a uh, constable's idyll, and all of the plot people there, there is a bunch of uh, conversations. And why is, is he in the countryside, you ask? Because it turns out that Marilyn Krull was also a massive aristocrat uh, and a Catholic one. That's not plot relevant. It's just mused on for several pages for no good reason. Um, anyway, Dude, it turns out that Marilyn was outside like... outside during this. Wait, do we not Do we not have Catholic Aristos in the show? I don't know. You, I don't have, know any... you have a huge amount of Catholic Aristos. Yeah, they were the yeah, only ones... Yeah, I would have imagined who... so. 
Right. Because there was a period where, like, I can't remember what it was called, but, like, you could remain a Catholic, but you had to, like, pay, like, a fine, like, an annual fine in order to n not, uh, like, be converted to C of E and was only the Aristos who could pay for it, basically. I mean, realistically, what's the difference between Catholic and Church of England anyway? So, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, papists. The real, the real difference is that, like, what, like, one was founded by an incredibly horny guy who wanted to divorce his wife. That's really all the difference that I see. <laughs> Anyway, it turns out that, like, uh, Marilyn Kroll uh, was oddly supportive of the government bailing out Northern Rock, even very insistently so, which went according to against every principle or something she may have had. And she was a big believer in moral hazard. So, you know, something sketchy might be up. Uh, and also Robert Peck figures out because literally another banker just tells him that more UK banks uh, might be in trouble. And while he's riding back from the funeral, he gets accosted by Tony Blair and evil PR man uh, Alex Elliott, who invites uh, Gil Peck to a memorial party at Alex Elliott's Den of Perverts somewhere in is that, London. Is that the name of a club? Or like, is is that, what is what is the Den of Perverts? I think you need to expand it's, on that a little bit. It's basically his house, but it's like every time there's a scene at a residence of Alex Elliott, it's like people are just sucking and fucking and taking cocaine. Oh, hell yeah. All right. Okay. I'm back on yeah, board. Je Jeffrey Epstein's there, you know, the whole gang. Oh, okay. Now I'm not on board. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Pete Manson, uh -huh. you know, people of this yeah. nature. Yeah, is yeah, there, of course. Yeah, is there a birthday cake there or something? Uh, um... I mean, in, in terms of this novel, in terms of Alex Elliot, you could very much consider him like the Alex will fix it character. Like that's that's kind of uh, where we are. Um, anyway, uh, he goes home and writes um, uh, a letter to dead Marilyn Crow on his BlackBerry through his tears, uh, where we get a thesis statement. We agreed that this goes wider than the banks. There is a systematic abdication of responsibility by those in power. It is a cancer in this supposed age of bro unbroken progress, the rot in the foundation of almost everything. Today's leaders want lavish rewards and praise for achievements that aren't theirs. Low inflation and economic growth imported from China would be one example. But they always blame the others when things go wrong. Yeah. Wow, my, my, my man understands that capitalism is real. Yeah, he is. He is. He's seen it. Uh, they they want increasing returns, and yet the t the rate of profit tends to tends to decrease over time. What yeah. the fuck is this? Has anyone, has anyone written about this? I don't know. I, I don't, I've never heard of anyone writing about this. This sounds fake. Whenever, whenever I type capitalism into Google, all that comes up is Joseph Stalin. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird. Joseph Stalin hedge fund. <laughs> That's what was Stalin, the Stalin Capital. Yeah, <laughs> my new hedge fund. Oh, uh, that's don't don't speak too loudly of that. It will happen. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to make a logo for it. Gil comes home to find that Marilyn has sent him a book that she borrowed on the post. And um, he, after he tries to shake the book dry, after spilling all his tears on it, um, a nude picture of Marilyn falls out and she's naked on a sofa, surrounded by empty champagne bottles and lines of coke. So Gil Peck starts thinking <laughs> and in that the maybe... In the background, the Sweeney. <laughs> <laughs> no, in the background, actually, uh, an original uh, Rothko. So a very expensive painting. Uh, that will come up later in the book. Um, then just, there's a... it's so it's so weird. Just like oh yeah, by the way, the, these people are all doing their like machinations around expensive things. It's just so. Ugh. It's 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 unnecessary. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned. Here's another unnecessary scene featuring uh, <laughs> expensive <Shit>. things. <laughs> 
Uh, he has lunch with uh, the Shadow Chancellor, a thinly veiled George Osborne, who once again repeats that Chris R Ravel, Ravel is the smartest man alive, and it's an expensive lunch, so of course we get the following lines. The waiter arrives with the main course. George Osborne asks for another glass of white, not another bottle, thank God. For a few moments, we eat in silence, savouring. My turbot has the elasticity of fish that was in the ocean only hours earlier. I experience almost sexual pleasure. No, I didn't need to know that. Mm. I didn't need to fucking know that, did I? Like... This, this is by far and away the horniest man that has ever lived. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, this is but saying very something. Odd circumstances, you know what? I'm coming round actually. I think I think maybe this is a high work of literature because he's kind of he's subtly indicated that this is a masturbatory work with that scene where he decided to go watch the Sweeney instead, and that's what this is. He's just he's jerking off with his page to us. It's great. <laughs> Love it. I realise what it is. It's his emotional dysregulation from his un un uh, medicated ADHD. That's what this is. <laughs> 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 Would you say that James, that stately plump uh, Gil Peck is descending the stairs? Um, oh. Anyway, uh, you know, right in if you if you got that joke. Uh, anyway, was Gil that Peck... in pajamas joke? Because that's the only thing my brain went to. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Core memory unlocked. Anyway, uh, Gil now has to go to the director's box at Arsenal, uh, which he hates because he's a Spurs fan and he thinks that Arsenal is uh, a fake club. Um, before he goes, he finds even more evidence that Marilyn Crowe was being uh, blackmailed um, because oh. of reasons. Uh, but this time, another nude picture with on the back written, I am thinking of sending this to Jimmy, that's Rupert Murdoch, um, written on it. But this time it's signed by a mysterious Q. So the antagonist oh. is now Q, quite literally. Mm. Um, okay. <laughs> well, my, my man spent too much time on 4chan. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the, the sizzly action now transfers to the Arsenal Stadium, where um, I'm glad to report that Gil Peck remains a real working class uh, Spurs fanboy. Uh, and, and again, uh, uh, more food porn. Lunch is a buffet. Smoked salmon, Dublin Bay prawns, assorted cold cuts, salads. It's all so different from my life at Tottenham's White Hart Lane, where it's still boiled mushy hot dogs, hard seats, and, un and obstructed views. My relationship boiled with mushy the hot dogs. Okay. Yes. <laughs> my relationship with Spurs is much like the relationship with my family: love and hate in equal measure. In fact, fictitious Spurs in its entirety. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, Spurs was at the heart of the least problematic part of being my father's son. It's it's very Jesus deep. Christ, that is um yeah, well <laughs> didn't need to dump his purse out like that, I guess, but alright. <laughs> anyway, whilst in the director's box, uh Gil Peck gets another scoop and we learn that Alex Elliott, evil PR man, is responsible for the Rupert Murdoch switch from Labour to the Conservatives. Because again, this is two thousand eight and that is when that happened. Um Oh, and on the way home, we get some more incredible dialogue and also the introduction by yet another villain I won't bore you too much with. Um, and he gets assaulted by some seemingly Arsenal fans uh, because they're, they're mad at him. Why are they mad at him? Um, I'm caught up in my own pretentiousness, so much so that I fail to notice a group of five young men in sharp suits who have joined us. They are rowdy and drunk. One shouts, you're that asshole from the BBC who's always talking down Britain. Why are you trying to kill the city? It's Peck in it, says another. You just <laughs> been at... 
<laughs> I'm sorry. Have they, got, have they got fire in belly? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, actually, they've got anti-Semitism in the belly. It's Peck, isn't it? Says another. You just been at the game, have you, Peck? You're a fucking yid, aren't you? Um, anyway, so there's a, a very grumpy call with the Prime Minister, basically Gordon Brown, who says they will have to nationalize Northern Rock. Uh, you know, if you remember, that was one of the catalysts of the the, the book. Uh, if 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 you're still awake, if you're still conscious, if, you, if you're still alive, I am barely fucking awake at this point, to be honest. <laughs> I've been I've been making a, a sort of like a, an image for Stalin Capital um, <laughs> in the background of this. I'm not even gonna lie about it. Like that is what I've been doing. Then he goes to the gym again because uh, he needs to work out to take care of it. Oh, to medicate his ADHD, ADHD yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. It's also because, um, this is almost a verbatim quote, that endorphins are his new addiction because he's no longer using cocaine. So that's why he has Jesus to go to the gym every day. Um, but he also gets absconded. Straight-edge uh, in- people are fucking unbearable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But then he gets absconded into a luxury Bentley, wherein we meet the uh, devious olig- Russian oligarch Prim- Primakov, Primakov, Primark, um, who basically says, don't cross me or my evil schemes or else because, you know, bad things will happen. Ah, ha, 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 villain laugh. He gets uh, booted out of the limo. Uh, blah, blah. Some other boring stuff happens along the way. Uh, I won't bore you with it. Uh, oh, and then once again, the, you know, the Daily Mail does another hit piece on him. Um to reveal that he used to fuck Marilyn Kroll. She's the one who committed suicide. So whoever... Secret ultra-communist. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. um, so simultaneously they reveal that, you know, a member of the press was fucking someone in government uh, and also that he's, you know, that Gilpack fucks. That's the important bit. Um, oh then out of I've just, spirit... just realised realized why, why it's Stalinist. Because that's the most communist thing he can think of. Yeah, that's, right. That's literally it. That's yeah, <laughs> yeah. Got it. Uh, okay, man. Yeah. Then at some point, we're about halfway through the book now. Um, he ends up kissing and fucking uh, Jess, his previous Ooh. girl Friday, but now you know more of his his girlfriend. And then together they head up to um, Alex Elliott's big uh, countryside measure mansion for the Marilyn Crawl Memorial Party, um, where all the main characters are at again, uh, and they're all you know, eating caviar and drinking champagne and so on and so forth. Um, and just, you know, once again, Gil Peck and also Robert Pesson have some real sex issues. Um, and this is just to say that his new girlfriend, Jess, is not just like the best reporter, but she's also DTF. Um, with the car door open, she swivels in the driver's seat towards me. She ostentatiously hitches up her skirt. <laughs> I like the so idea can... that he's sat in like the back seat and she's just spun around on the spot to look at him. <laughs> he's strapped into the child seat in the back, yeah. Um... <laughs> child locks on. <laughs> she ostent- <laughs> He's got like an iPad in the back where he could play scoop on like a kid limited <laughs> iPad. I love this use of the word ostentatiously, because I just double-checked, and the dictionary definition is in a pretentious or showy way designed to impress. And that is not a word that you use in, like, a sexual context. That's not that's not at all how this... This guy Maybe doesn't know how to write erotica. <laughs> Look, I think, I think we're assuming a lot. We're assuming that Peston has actually had sex here. And I just want to say that everything he writes about sex that I've ever read has confirmed that he has never had sex. I'm sorry. I mean, it does feel like you looked it up on Wikipedia, you're right. 
Yeah, she like, ostentatiously hitches up her skirt so I can see she's not wearing knickers. Am I supposed to say anything? Bit of motivation for you, she smiles. That's that's such like a fucking peep show <sighs> like monologue bit. You know, like you know when yeah. like Mark is in the like in the in the cup in the wardrobe at, with the cupboard at work the fuck with Dobby. Yeah. yeah, yeah, the fuck bunker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like it's it just reminded me of that. I'm just like fucking hell. <laughs> like <laughs> why? Why is he written this peep show but less funny? <laughs> why this, is this what this he's would done? be massively improved by just imagining Mark from Peep Show as Gilpeck? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because he has the same like awkwardness about everything. Because it, it makes it makes absolute sense though. Because like then that mm. you know you can absolutely Im- imagine Mark from Peep Show standing over someone in a corridor explaining what a CDO is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like finance bro Mark Corrigan as opposed to history enthusiast. And then you've got it. That's it. That's that's what it is. Um, anyway, Gil and Jess, she, she natches Sans underwear, um, attend the party, uh, blah, blah. There's caviar, expensive wine and champagne. Cabinet ministers mixed Wait, with aging... I'm sorry, po- uh, Rob, I'm, I have to take you back because I've just read a sentence and it is just completely like erased any memories I've ever had. Energized, I grip the foot of her boot and pull. Okay. What? Oh yeah, I what? trimmed off a bit because they're parked in a what muddy does... field and she doesn't want to get her expensive something or other boots uh, dirty before they get into the party. Oh, the foot, the foot of the boot she is wearing, not the foot of the boot of no. her car. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it makes a lot of sense now. She's gonna shag the car. <laughs> He's just going to fuck the exhaust pipe. Like, he's just what? pulling bits off the car like in fucking yeah. Street Fighter. <laughs> he's actually found himself in a WWE contest and it has to rip parts of the car off to beat up someone. Trust only your fear. Skill peg will never help you. <laughs> Cabinet ministers mix with aging pop stars, Brit- with aging pop idols, British movie stars and feline Russian models. And Ooh, here okay. I give you the great writing alarm again. The caviar flows like bitumen being ladled on a road. What? <laughs> like, okay, so like, okay, be honest, other people on this. I do, who, who, how many of you do? How many people do you reckon know what bitumen is instinctively? Like immediately know what that is. Not many. I mean, I, I do because I did a fucking degree in this shit. In bitumen uh, <laughs> or in caviar. They cover it in they cover it in high school chemistry. I did a degree in uh fractional distillation. <laughs> and yeah. so you know <laughs> Yeah, pretty the thing much. That, the thing that like struck me there was that it was being ladled onto the road. Yeah, yeah. like mm-hmm. like the fucking do you know what I mean? The guys in high vis are just stood around a giant terrain, <laughs> just like fucking serving a bitumen. <laughs> Pouring like, is, is anyone else anyone else think of the um uh, tar drop experiment, like yeah, I was uni, yeah. Now I'm just thinking about serving pure bitumen on a blini, like for Christmas, with a little flake of dill on top. <laughs> like I get where I get what he's going for. So he's going for the like you know, um, slightly warmed but not too warmed, like gravelly kind that they use mm. to, to backfill holes and stuff. And so there's like there's the germ of an image that if there was an actual connecting metaphor or something around it, it could maybe you might be able to do something. With like the depravity of the scene, and like you know, the, sorry, you know, are you the, handing the fucking... it to Robert Peston? No, I'm not. I'm because you do not got to do the opposite that. Of that. <laughs> Take uh, so the bad. fucking keyboard off of Robert Peston. Yes. 
Uh, anyway, so uh, whilst at the party, uh, Gilpack literally hides in the curtains to hear um, in the fuck Alex. Bunker. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> in the fuck yeah. bunker, yeah. Actually, in a in a previous uh, uh, scene, in the I fuck think bunker with a cum stain on his expensive trousers. <laughs> in a <laughs> what a great episode that was. What kind of road surfacing material are the curtains made of? <laughs> yeah, which bit of Actually, the fractional the... distillation? Is it related to? Uh, they're made out of kerosene. Carry on. Yeah. In a in a in a previous scene that I haven't mentioned before, uh, but like Gil Peck wanders through the house and uh, he sees uh, Alex Elliot's Russian wife being gang banged while like twenty people watch, and that's just ah. like kind of not common. Well, well, are are they just hey, like you know, watching and taking notes or what? Like what kind of watching are we talking about? Like I think he just is it like is it, is it like a Put stadium of cuck chairs? Is that like, you know, like you've got like some on an elevated scene, platform The scene too. is literally like he wanders in, he sees a bunch of people like watching her get gangbanged, just sort of goes, odd, and then walks out the door again. Okay, cool. Yeah, checks out. Yeah, that <laughs> seems fine. Like... Uh, anyway, so, uh, yeah, uh, Gil literally hides in the curtains to hear uh, evil PR man Alex Elliott plot with mega genius Chris Ravel and the head of some other bank that you don't have to worry about, but that's also in bad shape, uh, as to whether or not they can get some Saudi money, uh, but only if they deliver yet another plot McGuffin. I can't be bothered explaining the plot to you anymore. I'll just ex- do it all in the final so, reveal scene in a bit. Um, we were, You know, we were joking about Saudi Paul before i don't know if it's on recording or not but it turns out he was relevant to the story after all <laughs> yeah Damn. oh and it also turns yeah, out well, that fucking um robbie peas annoyed me so much i'm gonna have some fucking pepper army <laughs> uh, otherwise tur- i might actually fall asleep <laughs> oh and it turns out that um elliot uh evil pr man is actually q and also behind many other evil plots i can't i won't bother explaining it to you oh anymore. man he's just a born a born what, from, poster from james bond uh, no, actually, it's See, it's even stupider than this. Basically, what happens is that Alex Elliott is part of an Oxford drinking club called the Malmsey, uh, i.e. the Bullingdon, but less, but you know, with a different name. Uh, and they are called that way because they crave power above everything else. And Elliott is their ringleader because um, Q stands for Quasimodo um, because they all revere Richard off. III, who also had a hunchback. Richard III gets what? a bad rap, you know, and it's mainly Shakespeare's fault. He was a perfectly competent administrator who probably killed his nephews. But still, competent administrator generally. He was just personally I mean, his unpleasant. nephews were royalty, though, so... Yeah, so, you know, in a sense, is it not, in fact, is Richard III not, in fact, based? More based than Stalin, possibly, according to this book. So, <laughs> you know... Stalin Quasimodo capital. Yeah, anyway, okay, or- updating, updating the logo now, the, the like, image I've made now. In 2008, did the Bond films actually have Q? I don't think... Yeah, they, they must have done. No, they they must have done. Q. They must have done. Well, yeah, no, no, that's... no. But I'm pretty sure Casino Royale didn't. Casino Royale doesn't, and I'm pretty sure uh, Quantum of Solace doesn't either. No, it doesn't. You don't, you don't get Q until he turns up in Skyfall to plug the fucking mm-hmm. like, bad guy's USB directly into the fucking mainframe at MI6 or whatever. There's one... There's a guy who turns up and, like injects fucking Daniel Craig with the fucking tracking device in uh, Casino Royale, yeah. but he's, he doesn't have a line and he's not named. So if this, if this book is set before October 2008, then he's wrong because it's, like, only in... Like, because um, Quantum of Solace was released in October 2008, and mm. neither Quantum of Solace nor Casino Royale had Q or... Like, they had M, yeah, the but it was played by Judy Dench and... Yeah, 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 the older I'm, ones I'm going right? to put it to like, you. 
I'm going to put it to you that those two films didn't have Q because he was away doing this shit. Yeah, <laughs> and, and also, to be honest, was Quantum of Solace really 2008? Yeah, it was. Jesus fuck, man. Uh, that's so long ago and it was so terrible. Um, it's yeah. not actually, I like that film. I did not enjoy it. It's great because the, the, the bad guy is capitalism. <laughs> and Jamie well, likes that's also the case in this grounds. book, Jamie. I don't understand why you're not enjoying this. Um, <laughs> well, I, th- I think the method of delivery is upsetting Jamie more than anything. Yeah. Anyway, uh, on, on his way out the door, someone uh, slips uh, Gilpeck a drink full of Rohypnol and then pushes him into a pond So in the, in the vain hope that he dies there and then they're just rid of him. Not even taking a swig from the drink, just giving him a drink and then shoved him immediately. <laughs> that's that's a fucking hitman ass way of trying to assassinate someone. Fucking yeah. hell. Basically, he's lying at the bottom of the pond, but he's too mad yeah. and too full of scoops to die, so he forces himself yeah. to swim. All, all I'm saying is Jamie would have murdered Peston if it was a hitman level. And he would have done it in like 14 seconds. Like, yeah. Sorry, what is, it, what is it with Peston and needing to prove that he's harder than drugs? Like, you know, he he doesn't take ADHD meds, he just works out. And, like, Rehypnol in his system is like, no, the scoops are too important, and he powers through. Like, what the fuck is it with this guy and his, like, aversion to, like, you know, what? medicine and pharmaceutical science? 47 pushed him into the pond, but presumably, like, the fucking kill plane was out being cleaned that week, so he just floated. <laughs> I mean, this is this is like all other, you know, uh, uh, you know, incorporated bad guy plots. They push him in the pond and then don't stick around just for like a minute or two just yeah, like, to see whether or not he actually yeah, maybe dies. Maybe you should learn something from uh, from your your hero Stalin because I assume this is how history went and got on an ice pick. Yeah, well, yeah, that's how that's how it happened. There was no intermediary, famously. Uh, surely, surely you would wait until you hear the like, good job, first, good job, forty-seven. I almost said thirty-one there, yeah. and that was going to be a whole other thing. <laughs> ja- <Anyway>. Jamie knows. <laughs> Jamie knows. I feel, I feel bad because I, I revealed that secret to Angloids, and I got like a bunch of shit from Turkish people for revealing that to Angloids. Now, yeah, so you're, well. you're not really meant to know. <laughs> Gilpeck's dad dies um, so naturally because this is yet another what, scene with a dead body the pond. <laughs> <laughs> no for, I, don't, don't, I won't bother explaining it um, like he dies so you know of course this <laughs> is a scene with the cor- this, is, this is a scene with a corpse in it so guess what <laughs> dies of drowning because he's hanging in the guy's attic <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Gilpeck and his new girlfriend Jess uh, she of the no underwear uh, texting while he is literally at the family wake the Blackberry mm. buzzers. It's a text from Jess. Don't go home. I told Amy, her daughter, your dad died. She says you've got to come home and stay with us. I reply, thank you, and please say big thanks to your daughter. She replies, I want to fuck your brains out. Me? Sadly, we cannot have sex. I looked it up, and intimate relations are banned during the seven days of Shiva, as is the wearing of makeup. Jess, colon, fuck that. Apostasy is the best aphrodisiac. Okay. I feel like I zoned out and then zoned in there at like a really weird time. What the fuck's happening? He's <laughs> like, got he's, he's disclosing he's got a he's disclosing he's got a religious hang up kink. It's fine. Like let's move on. Yeah, but I mean we're not shaming for that. I'm just saying that this is yet another scene with a corpse in it that makes Gilpack horny. My ma- my man just cannot stop getting boners around corpses. What what is up with that? <laughs> Tom Doran moment. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, anyway, he meets with the uh, uh, MI6 father of mega genius and plot villain uh, Chris Ravel, um, and Chris tells um, 
Gilpeck some scoops and truths about his son Chris. Uh, this is a, a longer quote, but you know, feel free to sort of ask your questions as we get uh, to it. Um, he's explaining once again that his uh, his son was in love with Big Stalin, um, but also went to terrorist training Big camps. Stalin. Um, he went to, like he didn't wasn't just like a Fatah supporter. He went to like you know terrorist training camps in the Bekaa Valley in the seventies or eighties, presumably. Uh, whilst he was there, he got to, he got to know some immensely wealthy Saudis, the Sheikh class, as it were. One of their businesses was supplying arms to unsavory characters in Syria, Lebanon, and Gaza. It was colossally remunerative. And you were all still tracking this through the secret intelligence service. Christopher's father ignores the question. My son fell in love with these Saudis. He became sort of an intermediary between the manufacturers of the weapons and those who needed them. I assume you, I assume you mean terrorists. Again, he ignores me. Christopher was the perfect go-between. Which Western arms manufacturer could question the bona fides of an Oxford graduate whose papa was senior at something senior at MI6? papa? <laughs> that is how that is how these dickheads talk to be fair oh my god again. i hate it so much <laughs> and like just like I, I i know we sort of don't want we don't want to like delve too much into the fucking israel and palestine stuff at the moment but like just laying his cards on the table here like of how he feels about certain actors in that area huh yeah we're just yeah. gonna just Yep, these guys are just terrorists. We're not going to interrogate that any further. And giving them arms is bad. Cool. Damn. What a shame. Um, <laughs> oh, I wonder if this influences his, uh, yeah. his output in the real world. Uh. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if it may have influenced how he reported on certain people. But anyway, it's not important, probably. Probably fine. Nah, that's fine. It's cool. It's all good. I mean, at least he knows that Fatah had an armed wing, I guess. That, that's at least a step up from the level of knowledge of not knowing that the PFLP existed. So he's, my, he's doing all right. <laughs> my, son, my son is a man of contradictions. As I think I told you, we were estranged. But I did become aware, as I do assume you did too, that he joined a number of left-wing sects at university. Various revolutionary communist groups, I remember, quite. Now, like many le lefties of that era, he spent his vacations in the Middle East. <laughs> wait, was this? Wait, but was was that a real thing? I obviously because I'm not like a thousand years old. I don't know, but like, was is is that what people used to do? No, I, don't know. I mean, like, I like, don't think like. Like surely you, there are easier places to get to than the Middle East to I mean, go they're, hang they're, out like, with an armed group. I mean, there are like there are like sort of crossover-ish events in the seventies and eighties where like the uh, German RAF would like train uh, in Lebanon yeah. with like the, the you know Fatah oh, yeah. and other like Palestinian. Armed oh yeah, groups, like, like um, yeah, like like there would um, the Turkish group who kept kidnapping NATO uh, personnel. They trained yeah. with the DFLP, the uh, the Maoist faction in the PLO. They would yeah, train with them. That. Yeah, there was all sorts of stuff like that. But I mean, like a random British communist no not that many who, like i mean and no, if they I were can't, i can't imagine that there were many who wound up in plo training camps robert Pesson just thinks every every fucking leftist is brace belden yeah i mean <laughs> we could we could be this, you know? this, this entire book is shit that doesn't happen you know like i i know that's the basis of fiction but in this case it's particularly shit that didn't happen no well, one I does mean, that he's, it he's, just doesn't he's happen fucking... 
he's cut his own knees out because he's tried to base it on things that have actually happened, like the financial crisis. So you're obviously going to be drawing parallels between things that have actually happened in the real world and your tedious, fictitious book. <laughs> well, I'm glad you, you mentioned uh, these tedious crossovers. Now we get to, this is the final section, of, well, almost the final section of the book, and this is where the big plot reveals itself. So it's time now for the almost final showdown. Right. Jess's daughter is kidnapped and they make a guild pack go to some canary wharf office to get her back if you you know if you still possess that level of consciousness this is also where the prologue was uh, where he gets his um, his finger cut off by um, the SAS guy uh, anyway, it, the plot is as follows. Uh, it turns out that all of this, including the uh, Northern Rock bank run, uh, is a big plot concocted by Chris Ravel, the Stalinist capitalist, Alex Elliott, evil PR man, and surprise, surprise, um, Tony Blair himself. Uh, the three of them are in cahoots for various reasons. Uh, basically, uh, several hedge funds are sitting on massive subprime losses from the American mortgage market, but are hiding it uh, under cover of some British banks. And in order to fix many steps of interminable finance bullshit, they need a bunch of Saudi money. Uh, but the Saudis will only give them the money um, in exchange for buying a UK uh, tech startup called Athena, which can do the following, which is why the Saudis want it. What can you tell us about Athena Tech? Not as much as I'd like. They publish nothing and are obsessively secretive. Uh, they are a rarity in the UK, a world leader in advanced technology. According to my defense well, sources... That's not changed, has it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. According to my sources, they have developed an unmanned remote-controlled uh, uh, aerial vehicle, so a drone, that can scan for booby traps and IEDs with astonishing accuracy... Oh, I, was re- I was really hoping it would be like can scan for boobies and I would have been like oh, we are yeah, so uh, bad we need, we, need, we need the fucking uh, tits drop, drop. From, from yeah David. we do yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway so that, that's that's basically the plot it's all been set in motion so a bunch of hedge, hedge funds can cover their losses in secret and then get some Saudi money and so on and so forth um but they used a whole bunch of money from the evil Russian oligarch to, to do it, but then decide to stiff him out of the proceeds. Um, but oh, like yeah, I I'm said, sure that's fine. Very... I'm sure a Russian oligarch would take that lying down, by the way. <laughs> like, that's probably fine. But like I said, even though all of this is inevitably going to happen anyway, uh, but to make it credible and make it real, uh, they need a Gilpack blog post to do the scoop on this like acquisition of this drone company by the Saudis to make it believable and real. And that way, if Gilpack reports it, nobody asks any questions because that's just how news works these days. Um, and because they've cut off his finger and are threatening his sort of adopted daughter, uh, he presses send on a blog and the company gets bought, blah, blah, bad guys win. Cool. That's, that, that is was... not the end of the book. Oh, fuck. I was, oh, no. well, I was about to say some very unkind things, but I guess I'll hold them for two more minutes. <laughs> Anyway, uh, inspired by his dead dad, who always told him not to get mad, but get even, uh, that is exactly what Robert yeah, Peston does. Don't get does. mad, get horny. <laughs> <laughs> Off we go for the final scenes, which are set in Davos, oh including many pages of unnecessary bullshit <laughs> that I won't bore you with. Apart from the one thing that I personally found incredibly funny is that like, he explicitly writes that the moment he gets off the train in Davos, so like in the village itself, he puts full crampons on because he's that worried about slipping and ruining his fancy <laughs> suit. <laughs> That's pretty funny. That's... When, when do they host Davos? 
I mean, it is in winter. Like, it, it is, it, it is yeah. a ski oh, season, right. but like. Pro tip, by the way, the slopes are super empty then because everybody's in the conference room, so the skiing's really good in Davos that week because there's nobody there. Oh, um, all right. Well, yeah, I'm sure we'll be. I'm sure we'll be right on yeah. that. Thanks, Horace. <laughs> 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 uh, anyway, like all the bad guys, like keep cackling at him and saying, "Ah, you're our bitch now," and you know we won, it's, and so on and so forth. Um, but he, this is now we get to the true ending, which is basically um, the three evil geniuses were using the bad Russian oligarch's money and fucking him over in the process. Uh, but you know, Gil doesn't get ma- get mad; he gets even. So he actually tells the uh, Russian oligarch everything. Uh, so he, that guy arranges for um, PR man Elliot, uh, Stalinist capitalist Ravel, and Tony Blair to take the helicopter back from Davos to the airport which is always a good idea to get on a helicopter owned by a Russian oligarch. Uh, and that it turns out to be <laughs> Inexplicably true. start playing with hand grenades on there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that, you know, you exactly what you think would happen does happen. Um, the helicopter blows up, uh, killing Tony Blair, yeah. um, the hedge oh. fund guy, another what? evil hedge fund guy I've cut out of explaining because it's too much. Um, but not um, PR man Alex Elliott, villain supreme, because I assume for plot reasons he's needed for the next book. Oh god, there's going to be a next book. Fuck. So Fuck. this is this is like alternate. This is an alternate reality where Tony Blair gets murked by a helicopter yes. blowing up. Yes. Okay, you know what? Sometimes the last act does, in fact, redeem a book. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, then Gil and Jess do some bit more fucking, and then they also publish uh, all of Marilyn Crawl's diaries, which I've ignored throughout the book, but she wrote them in, like, hieroglyphic code, and it took them days and days to decipher it. Why did she write it in hieroglyphic code? Don't ask, just, it's just a just, thing. Just, just, write, just drawing, like, a falcon and an eye, and just trying <laughs> like, try to intentionally confuse people. No, they actually, they print, like, a little snippet, and it's, like, little sort of 90-degree angle things, and some of them have like a um like a circle in the middle and others don't so like technically you could oh. unravel it for yourself you know it's just in there in the book for no reason whatsoever i think i'll pass sure. <laughs> anyway uh, and the revelations in uh, uh the financial times and on the blog economics cause at least three parliamentary inquiries and ruin alex elliott's reputation so i assume that because there was an inquiry that was you know all is right with the world now. Anyway, that is the end of Robert Peston's The Crash Part 2 in the Gil Peck Extraordinaire series. Oh, oh, it's called The Crash because, because there's also a crash at the end. Ah. Ah. Wow. Much to think about. Not really. See you next week. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's over. Go home. <laughs> Honestly, God, right, the first book has just slipped right off of my mind. And when you were like, this summarizing book it... slipped right off my mind. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I was repressing the memory as I was experiencing it. Yeah. Well, it's like, I, I, as you were summarizing it, the, the summary was slipping off my mind. And now that you've told me this plot, I know Tony Blair dies in it. And I know he's horny for corpses. And I really can't tell you anything else that I've just listened to there, Rob. And I'm sorry, you did a perfectly good job summarizing. It's just the I've content is so like... so much shit, by the way. It, like... No, I could tell. I could tell. Like this, is, this, <laughs> this book runs to near 400 pages. How? What? Why do you need for... Uh, okay. Be- because you have like three pages explaining that someone's uh, been monstered for being a communist for basically no reason. Ha, ha, ha.
I things mean, like that. 50 pages at the start just to uh, figure out what CDO is. I mean, even, even fucking J.K. Rowling doesn't need that many pages to do her modern thrillers, and she's fucking mental, so... <sighs> God, fuck. Just... I fucking hate this shit, you know? Like, I just fucking hate it. I hate that I'm the book person. I assume there's going to be a third one of these because I have no idea whether or not the first one actually sold at all. But because he is Robert Peston, as long as he's willing to write them, they are going to publish the fucking things. So, you know, when when part three comes out, look yeah. forward to that. Who one. will did rid us of one... this turbulent journalist? Did the, uh, did the first one? Did the first one sell? Oh, like, no. surely if he got a sequel. I don't know. Then... I'm not looking that up. Uh, I, don't, I can't be bothered. Did he not, like, sign a three book deal just on the strength of. Being like fucking some kind of lizard. Well, <laughs> just being Robert Peston, right? Like, oh, it, it, he has a two book deal apparently, Jamie. So oh, thank he God. doesn't hey. have a three book deal. Hey. There's going to be a third one though. Like, Fuck we, me! We they this. paid him. This is from the article. They paid him six figures for these two books. That he Jesus. must have. Sh- he must have shat out over like three coke adult weekends. Honestly, three exercise adult weekends. I think you'll find. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so they sold a hundred thousand copies of his debut, The Whistleblower, including twenty thousand hardbacks. That is substantially better than Ian Duncan Smith did, and I read his fucking book for my stream. Yeah, that's actually like Christ Almighty. That's actually good enough to maybe mean there will be a third one, unless yeah. unless everyone's like, I'm not reading the sequel. Unless everyone who read the first one goes, I'm not reading the sequel because fuck that. Um. Yeah. If anyone's wondering, the Ian Duncan Smith book, only 1,000 of them exist, and I happen to have one of them. I had to buy it from an Irish library. <laughs> For some reason, it is bound in human skin. Maybe that's why yeah, that, yeah, that was that was the fucking weirdest part of it when I got it. I was like, oh, okay. This looks like an evil book that you'd find in a D&D campaign. But g- g- given my general vibe, that seems to suit me fine. Speaking of your uh, general vibe, before we uh, before we leave this uh, this pod blessed coil, um, geez, uh, there, would you like to plug your very many many and varied wonderful my, activities? The everything that I do, yeah, I'm on uh, I'm on Twitch, SK the Crusader. I'm there. I play games, and sometimes we do a four hour stream every two weeks where I yell at Keir Starmer, basically. It's really cathartic, actually. Ever since I've not been on Twitter, I get all of the like negative feelings out on that stream, and it's made them much more popular for some reason. Um, also, Alistair will be joining on the stream for a Hell fortnightly yeah. D&D campaign, so that's going to that's gonna be good fun. Uh, nice. I also do YouTube. I don't know when this is coming out, but it'll, it'll probably be the it week should after be this my week latest. On, should be this week Thursday, on Thursday. Friday, so. probably. Oh, okay, so the new video will be dropping probably on Saturday after this is out. It's about why comedians keep turning out to be really fucking shitty conservatives. Uh, it's going to be really fun to to drop that one. And uh, I also do another podcast with Jamie. And, yeah. well, we used to have Ben on, but I don't know what they're up to. I might have to get in touch with them. But, yeah, Peace at Home. Wild. Peace at Home. It's about Turkey. We... We just did a, well, I guess tomorrow, well, the day before this is coming out, we should have released our bonus episode we did with the World Has Your Problem, lads. Uh, the yeah. the main episode we released last week was really fun and really good, and we did not stay on topic at all, because that's that's just our brand now. Yeah. That's our vibe. We don't stay on topic anymore. Fuck. Yeah, I even wrote you... notes. 
Yeah. Listener, do you want to understand two or three of the jokes that were made over the course of this episode? Well, you better listen to the <laughs> entire backlog of Peace at Home. Anyway, so you can you can all go go and figure uh, that out for yourselves or not. It's entirely up to you. Anyway, uh, you can get us at uh, patreon.com forward slash praxiscast because, quite frankly, um, you know, I pay for the these books to be shipped to me. So I would like, you know, to be refunded <laughs> by you for you know, for reasons. Um <laughs> And also, uh, there is the streams, which are Wednesdays and Thursdays on uh, Praxis Cast. No, on, not Thursdays, sorry. but... Oh, well, whatever. There's some time. <laughs> when are they? <laughs> Mondays and Wednesdays. Yes. Um, although, we won't, I probably won't be able to in the next few... I'll jump, I'll jump in and do a stream again this week. Why not? There you go, Gordon. Anyway, just if you want to do streams, like either just, I don't know, subscribed on twitch.tv forward slash PraxisCast, or just keep an eye on our Blue Sky and or Twitter, wherever you, you know, do your social media thing and stuff. That is it for everybody. Um, thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye. See you. Bye. See you.